Heroic bloodshed is back and by the bucket. My name is Jason. I am the last manager of the last video store in the universe. It's called Binge Movies. It comes to you from sunny, tropical Akron, Ohio, from a nearest, most convenient parallel dimension, as does this podcast. If you have a video store in your dimension, in your universe, I simply am not from your universe. Normally, ranking movies, but I'm not doing that. I'm going to the movie theater where I leave and I have instantaneous reactions. And for patrons, those reactions come just a little bit more instantaneously and a lot more extended, if you know what I mean. I just saw John Woo's latest film, uh, Silent Night. Silent Night is a uh, revenge thriller. It's a film about a man who, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, uh, the Christmas season, the holiday season, um, it's Christmas Day. He's um, enjoying a Christmas morning in the front yard in Texas with his wife and his young son when a flurry of gunfire uh, comes barreling down their street and a stray bullet kills his son. Uh, and the man spends the next 365 days self-destructing and rebuilding himself into the ultimate uh, weapon of vengeance against the people who he feels have wronged him. I am at an extreme advantage. I'll get to that in a second. I'm going to do this non-spoilers, and uh, then I'm going to talk about some things in the extended cut for our patrons. So I'm not going to spoil very much of anything. Um, but I'm an extreme advantage, because just this year, I watched a concentrated dose of the Hong Kong filmography, Hong Kong action filmography, really I should say Hong Kong heroic bloodshed filmography of John Woo. John Woo had made, I think, 40-some films by the time he eventually got around to A Better Tomorrow and the movies that, event that made him famous and made him a legendary director. So I watched uh, really kind of like his core group of films, Bullet, Bullet to the Head, uh, Bullet in the Head, um, Better Tomorrow, Hard Boiled, um, so a few more in there. Um, and then I watched his first film, or rewatched, I should say, his first film from uh, uh, oh, The Killer would be another one, uh, Hard Target, which is the first American film. Um, and that sort of gave me a, a primer and a cipher for Wu. Um, Wu is a director... I mean, I could go in a million different directions with this, but I. He's a director that to understand him is to understand that more than a director, he is a lyrical poet and he, his poetry just so happens to be movies. And so you and you have to understand the cultural context from which he's making movies um, and the fact that his movies, no matter how American they may seem, even something like Face Off or Mission Impossible 2. That for the most part, no matter how American his films seem, he is still a director who is communicating to you cross-culturally. And I've seen this movie get some like not great reviews, and, and I, I didn't look at any of the reviews until I got out of the screening, and I don't normally do that, but I just wanted to see how it was received, and I saw a lot of the same commentary that I would have given Wu, and that I acknowledge that I gave Wu 
on the Woo episode that we did, the Woo ranking episode. And it's the simplified American commentary of how many doves were there and how much fire and how many, you know, bullet macro shots and all this sort of stuff. And there are no doves in this one, by the way. Um, there are birds, but there are no doves. And the discovery that that imagery has very specific um, Hong Kong and Chinese um, meaning. It has a um, history. It has, it's both personal to him, but also it's him working within a particular cultural context, especially in the early to mid eighties in Hong Kong cinema that he is working within the tradition of heroic bloodshed, which is its own genre, essentially of epic storytelling. It's been around for millennia, essentially um, that he is in one form or another um, that he, you know, there, there's all these reasons for that and it's out of our American ignorance. I'm just, and I'm putting myself in that category that we just sort of watched his movies. They were odd. They were strange. They were cool. And everybody was like hardcore cinephiles in the nineties. And which was way, it was way more difficult to be a cinephile in the nineties. Cause you really had to go out of your way to import movies essentially, or know somebody who could import movies to even see some of this stuff. And anybody who was a hardcore cinephile or or like movie maniac would like tell you that this was the like one of the greatest living directors we had. And then you'd watch the movie and then you would just sort of be like, well, you know, there's a lot of doves and fire and slow-mo in it. You know, and it was sort of like the idiot conclusion that we all came to. And our viewpoint of him never really evolved. We never most of us never thought to ask more questions about the man than that. Uh, and largely because he stopped making movies and he, and in particular, stopped making movies in America after the early 2000s, after 9-11, really. Um, and we just sort of just moved on, you know? We, we, and his style and his sensibilities were completely assimilated into Western filmmaking from everything from most of the stuff you saw in the 90s up to kind of the, the, uh, the peak of that probably would have been The Matrix, but then all the Matrix clones that came after that. And then, of course, we got like a, more waves of it um, with like the John Wick films and the Chad Stahelski films. And his partner, who I always forget the name of, um, who went on to do like Atomic Blonde, all that stuff. And that, that leaves me with um, two things I want to talk about, themes and technique. The first thing I want to talk about this movie is that this movie is in the lineage of his other movies, because if you understand John Woo, and this is by his own admission, he's a kind of a devout Christian, which is a minority group within, you know, the, the country he spends most of his time or did. And, um, he's a pacifist. He's, uh, as you know, uh, many followers of Jesus are, he takes the teachings of Jesus seriously, but turn the other cheek. And so he's a pacifist. And so this idea permeates all of his movies that, that there is evil in the world and that that evil can and will touch you at some point. It will get to you. But there's also evil inside of you. And you have the choice of how do you respond to the evils of this world? Do you do nothing and just grow cynical? Do you seek a higher path? And seek the light, which he very rarely makes movies about, or those those, or those characters are very rarely central characters to his story. Sometimes they are, though. Um, 
or do you respond to with kind? Do you repay evil with evil? And he's really fascinated by the idea of heroism and that heroism in essence is a term that we give to people who oftentimes commit evil. But we say that the evil that they commit is justified. The violence that they commit is justified. So what is the difference between a hero and a villain? What's the difference between somebody on this side or that side of the law? Is the law lawful if in the face of evil it does nothing? Is evil truly evil if in the face of evil it does good? Does one righteous act undo a lifetime of, of wrongdoing, of wickedness? All of these themes are constantly permeating his, you know, his films, and and you see a degree of it here. Uh, and the another thing that he gets at is that vengeance and violence are always hell. The hell always follows vengeance. That's the one thing. Like all of his movies have so much fire in them because that fire usually kind of shows up at the peak of the rage and the brokenness and the fallenness of the protagonist. So when the protagonist is in his most vengeful, violent mode and the greatest degree of violence is being perpetrated, that's when fire comes. And fire is very often, like quite literally, like hell on earth. Because this is his belief of what violence does. And violence propagates hell. You cannot accomplish peace through violence. It's not possible. It's, a, it's something that we continuously believe that we can do, that we can subjugate the evil of the world through violence, but that's just filling the world with more evil. This, this is all throughout his, you know, if we understand the text of his movies, I don't want to be too heady with it all because ultimately it is, uh, there are people, Howard Boyle doesn't really go down this route, but ultimately there are, the movies are mostly about people Kind of flying through the air whilst firing two pistols. Hardboiled is especially about that. That's just a fun film. But there's always more to his films than that, or to a lot of his films. Let's say to his best films. And this, I would not say that Silent Night is one of his best films, but those themes are there. Um, it He gets to them in an odd way, and the pacing of this is odd. And it is heightened by the fact that this character, and most of the characters in the movie, don't ever speak that we're seeing the sort of the logical moments after somebody would have spoken. So it's like, he's making a movie kind of in the margins of another in, in, in the, the scenes we see or the scenes that are in the margins of the scenes that would have been written with dialogue, if that makes any sense in a script. Um, and the way that he then sort of breaks up the story, especially I would say like maybe like the first three quarters, first half, especially is really, um, he puts you into the place of tragedy and melodrama, which is another piece of cultural history. Um, that is the, that was the flavor when he was coming up within the movie scene of China. And, um, that was the flavor of Chinese storytelling at the time, especially popular Chinese storytelling. It was a lot of heavy melodrama, a lot of deep expressiveness, which tends to make Americans uncomfortable, uh, which is very, very sad. Um, and so it's not fun. There's nothing fun about, okay. And, and, and here's, I'm going to get into this where I think where some people are having a problem with it and I don't think they recognize it. Why they don't have a problem. They have a problem with this movie. A lot of movies, an American made movie like John Wick is a great example. 
puts you in the position of feeling for John's character. He's burying his wife. We show that this is a wife who he really loved. He really cared about her. And her last gift to him on the day of her funeral is a dog gets delivered. And it's just enough to keep him breathing. It's just, that dog, that puppy is just enough so he can lift his head off of the pillow. And then the dog dies, and his favorite car gets stolen, and it's the last thing that he had from her. And it just so happens that he is the world's most dangerous man and most proficient killer. And all hell breaks loose. So now we're four movies down the road, and hell is still breaking loose. The movie goes out of its way, in, in essence, to show us these characters to justify in the mind of the audience all the horrendous things that John does. This movie, Silent Night, is the anti-John Wick. It is similar setup, I would suppose, but as of a dog, it's a child. But it never justifies anything that Joel Kinnaman's character does in this movie at all. In fact, the movie, there's very much, there's real consequences to everything this guy does. One, he's not the most proficient killer on the face of the earth. He doesn't know what the hell he's doing. So it takes him an entire year, and even after an entire year of preparation, he's still not really prepared. Um, the movie doesn't really let him off the hook. The movie really thematically is sort of like, yes, this man, we were going to sit you in the horrendous tragedy of this man's life. But what's the greater tragedy? Is the greater tragedy what happened to his son or how he's dealing with it or not dealing with it? the coping mechanism that he's chosen, which is violence. Because that violence unleashes all kind of evil into the world around him, all kind of hell. And there's a lot of bystanders who get caught up in the crossfire, which is the origin of this character. I mean, this is essentially John Woo's The Punisher. If you understand, like, well, I want to understand what this movie feels like, Joel Kinnaman becomes The Punisher. But it's profoundly more interesting than that, even though there's mostly no dialogue, because the character has no voice, and so he lets the violence do his speaking for him. And some of it's really on the nose, but it's another like extraordinarily violent, um, with a great deal of practical effects. There is some CGI, and some of it is pretty ropey. But it's another one of the lineage of John Woo films that on the surface are extraordinarily violent, but that are actually, if you read them correctly, are completely anti-violence films. Like, there's nothing about any of this that by the end of it, you're like, yeah, fuck yeah. I mean, there's some action sequences, especially towards the back half, that are exceptionally well done. I mean, this is John Woo basically responding to The Matrix, The Raid, uh, John Wick, and being like, y'all copped my style, you bit my stuff. Um, I may be very elderly, but I still got it. Here you go. And he does. And that gets me to my the next thing I want to talk about, which is technique, right? The difficulty of being John Woo is that now essentially everybody is John Woo. That you and the choreographers you used were so inventive and so creative, you rewrote the action language of cinema permanently. He may go down as being one of, if not the most influential directors of the second half of the 20th century. That's no small accomplishment. And it's not an exaggeration. His and his crew, the work that they did in Hong Kong 
just might be some of the most important stuff that's ever been done in, in filmmaking as far as impact. And because of that, it's almost, it's almost not quantifiable. So when you essentially like rewrite what movies are, how in the world do you continue making them when now everybody's making a movie like you, even if they don't know it, even in like just a random ass movie that has an action sequence in it, all of a sudden it's going to feel like, is it, is it the wooiest of the woo? no, but the way that the way that the hand-to-hand combat is shot, the way that people fight, the rhythm, the percussion, the balletic nature of the violence, the the using um, gunfire as percussion to drive and pace, it's all stolen from this guy. All of it, even if, you know, even in the Bourne movies, which you know have kind of created their own little style, their extensions of John Woo. So how do you come back to it after all of these years and still feel fresh and like? Re, are you going to reinvent it again? Probably not. Like we've probably pushed the limits to what we can do, especially with human beings. So instead he just, he does it. And that's like, the thing I wrestle with is like the daredevil Netflix show fucking stole from John Woo old boy stole from John Woo. Like, like everything is John Woo. If you know this stuff. So it's like, you know, I don't know. It's 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 like um, going to watch choreography or a ballet or something, and you're like, "This is the this single most influential choreographer of all time," and so now every piece of ballet after this person lived, or every piece of dance, kind of feels like that person. That's how it is with with him. So the entire time, like, I, and I've seen some reviews, but well, this isn't John Wick, you know, this isn't. It's not as good as John Wick, and I'm like. I don't know. I feel like it's kind of like, I love the John Wick movies um, and they're incredible, but I I feel like um, this is sort of the antidote to John Wick in a way. This is sort of like, I want to say this is, this is how it would really happen. It isn't. It does end up going to the place of fantasy, but it's, it's interesting to have a character who we, everything this guy does is wrong. Everything. How he responds, he's not wrong for his grief. He's not wrong for his pain. He's not wrong for his anger. He's not wrong for his suffering. Um, he's also physically suffering because he's he would he ends up catching strays as well, or not quite strays, uh, after the confrontation. So he's like partially disabled because of like, man has been through it. He, I, he's not even been through it. He's not through it. He's in it. The man is in it. And he's not, but he's not moving forward. He's not making himself available to any of the resources that are around him that would help him at all in any constructive manner. And the movie never lets up on that. The movie never goes, yeah, he's a drunk. And yeah, he's cut his, uh, you know, loved ones out of his life. And yeah, he's only obsessed with vengeance. But isn't it cool when he kills these guys? The whole thing just kind of feels like a tragedy. Because that's actually what Wu does. Who makes tragedies? And it's very easy to cut the violence out. Um, and, and, you know, there's this hellacious uh, stairwell sequence. And it's like very, very easy to just cut that out and be like, isn't this fucking awesome? And it is. But you're kind of missing the point of like, 
the guy's going to hell. I mean, like, I, at one point we go all the way up, and then the camera just has to go back down the stairwell, and everything is ablaze underneath. And it's again, it's like John Woo's sending us to hell because that's where Joel Kinnaman is going, and that's where this violence is going. And look at all the carnage. Look at all the people who are caught up in all of us. Look at all the mindless violence. And so. Woo gives us those things, but he never gives us permission just to like check our brain at the door and be like, Woo, isn't this fun? It's not fun. It's horrendous. So it's almost a referendum on John Wick in a way. Like, no, this this shit isn't fun. Like, there's consequences to this. So because of that, and because like the movie isn't just like doesn't have somebody appear on screen and go, Well, audience, what you should think about this is violence is bad. It just plays itself out. Uh, I see a lot of media literate people not understanding what the movie actually is and just being like, well, I mean, the stuff with the motorcycle was pretty cool, but, you know, John Wick was better. So, all right. Um, would I recommend it? It's hard for me to recommend it because I've spent a lot of time digesting very recently the filmography of John Woo, the legacy, the cultural context, all this sort of stuff that I kind of gave you a taste of now. So, um, maybe if hearing all of that, if puts you in a certain frame of mind, I would maybe recommend going and see it, seeing it. If you're just looking for kind of a, a romp, this ain't it. This is a tragedy with blood and bullets. So if you want to go watch a tragedy that has some f- fucked up practical action, then this is for you is a downer. Okay. This is a downbeat as fuck movie um, and doesn't give a shit. So um, if I had to give it a score, I think the first half is like, um, it's like it goes from being very strong to kind of clunky. There's some editing choices again, where I feel like there's some sequencing problems in the first half where I would maybe move some shit, shit around uh, the pacing. It doesn't have like the best John Woo movies are these like perfectly paced films. Like every scene is leading to the next thing. And this just isn't that I, this is like B tier woo, but it's like B tier compared to like uh, a better tomorrow, the killers, like things like that, like all time classic films. So because of that, I would probably give a 3.5 stars out of five. And my heart wants to push it to a four. But if I bring in the sense of Wu's other work, it feels like four stars would be like, Wu's back at the top of his game. He kind of isn't, but it's not his fault. It's like the game's kind of changed a little bit. Um, But I think what he's done here is he's created a very interesting conversation piece. And what I mean by that is it's a movie that's in conversation with everything that has come after him, everything he's influenced. And I like that kind of stuff. Um, so casual audiences would probably give it two stars because they say it's boring. Okay, all right, I don't have to tell you. Uh, three and a half stars for me. If you are a patron, this episode rolls on. If you are not a patron, thanks for listening. Until next time, binge on. <laughs>